Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome in to another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me as always from GamecockCentral.com, Colin Taylor, although I think... For the first time since we've started doing this podcast, you and I are not in the same room together. You are doing this remote. We're practicing safe, responsible social distancing. This is the first time we've done this over the phone, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is a drastic times call for social distancing measures. So how has your social distancing been going so far? Uh, Interesting. Um, I'm used to press conferences and games and whatnot probably four or five days a week and Now it's a lot of sitting at home and spending a lot of time with my roommate who never used to work from home and is now um, usually on the couch with me working. So Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty interesting. What does your roommate do? Uh, He's in uh, real estate. So he's usually out doing stuff and working in an office, and uh, I am not. So a lot of time with him and a lot of time with uh, the fiancé. Yeah. Okay, well, that doesn't sound so bad. A a little bit of a different thing for your work setting, getting to spend some time with people that you like, not the worst thing in the world. And I, I guess while you're normally at events and at press conferences and stuff, a, a lot of your writing and things I imagine gets done at home, or are you someone that will like go to a coffee shop and sit if you need to crank out a piece or two or what? Yeah, usually sometimes I go to a coffee shop, mm-hmm. so that's a little interesting. Like mm-hmm. my working, my my remote working is usually going into our backyard to work, but now it's um, backyards, a lot, a lot of different places around the house to the different places around Columbia. Now, you've still been pretty busy. Uh, Gamecock Central has been pumping yeah. out as much content as ever. You've had the end of the basketball season, and you've had this awesome bracket thing that you all have going on, the great, the March Madness-style bracket for the greatest South Carolina athlete of all time that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the podcast. But, I mean, have you even noticed, uh, other than not having the press conferences, or do you still feel like you're as busy as you were before quarantine started? Oh, no, I'm not as busy. Um, oh, there, are days, there are days now where I wake up and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do today? But in the spring, usually it's not like that. It's okay. I got boom, you know, 800 different things to do. And now it's like, it goes from 800 to 400. So um, we're a little bit easier there. So puzzles, TV shows, movies, video games, uh, cooking a lot. What are y'all doing? Video games, movies, um, some cooking here and there. Um, had a family dinner uh, last night. So we did some steaks and um, it was my brother's birthday, so we kind of got all together and did steaks and board games and stuff like that. So um, a lot of a lot of cooking, a lot of TV shows, a lot of catching up on things that I didn't get to watch during football and basketball season. Nice. Well, happy belated birthday to your brother who played basketball yeah. against somebody from, what, <laughs> Alabama or Arkansas or something? 
Sure, why not? I, I thought he played against some or or because you were talking about somebody that knew your brother that like played basketball here in town. They went to school together, and then now he's oh, playing yeah. for an SEC school. Devontae Schuler, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah, right. that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Your brother, yeah. Uh, aka Devontae Schuler's best friend. That's uh, that's always yeah, how that's, I'll remember your brother. Uh, what are you playing we're right put now? That on his tombstone. Uh, a lot of the show. I have an old version of the show. Mm-hmm. I have an old version of NBA 2K that I'm playing. And um, how old? Of, like, I want to say like 2018. Oh wow. Okay. So I, I I've been thinking old because I dusted off my 2K a couple weeks ago, and it's 2K 15. And I keep playing that, so that's, like, way old. But um, yeah. I keep playing it because I've created a character that I've grown very attached to through the years. You know, he's unbelievable. Uh, Gerald Murphy, a.k.a. Big Smooth, he's got, like, the big old mutton chops and a huge afro. You know, won a couple MVPs, NBA Finals, and I just can't retire. I, I can't have right. him retire yet, and so every time I want to play 2K, i got to go bust off my Gerald Murphy yeah. file. I have a, um, on my old Xbox, I have a... NCAA like 2008 or 2011 mm-hmm. something like that mm-hmm. and like all of my I have like three or four different road to glories on it that I'm nice. playing through every now and again so fantastic that's how I spend a lot of my time I miss those days so you're a sports game guy you're not a like a fantasy game or puzzle game or adventure game or anything it, it depends um I played the Spider-Man the, I have a PlayStation now mm-hmm. um so the new Spider-Man game the new Call of Duty game but most of the time I stick with sports Okay, interesting. I uh, I mostly don't, honestly. I, wow. I, you know, 2K15 every once in a while. Never played Madden. I haven't really played NCAA football since I stopped making them, although before that I played them religiously. What else? Uh, every once in a while, if I want to play a baseball game, it's not the show. It's, here comes a, an awesome throwback, MLB Slugfest 2004. Did you ever Ooh. play that? Yes. Oh, my gosh. You catch oh. on fire and you can like punch people running the base pads. Oh, I did that. I did that all the time. I would purposely not hit doubles <laughs> and hit singles. That way, it would pause and I could just beat the ever loving crap out of the out of the first, first baseman. baseman. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. It taught you awesome. a lot of good life lessons, uh, a lot of good social skills. So yeah, that, that's pretty yeah. much the extent of like my sports gaming. Oh, and, and a lot of FIFA. Actually, I do play a lot of FIFA. Oh, I do play a lot of FIFA too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Uh, and watching shows mostly, movies mostly. Depends. Um, Depends on the mood. Uh, watched I started. I watched Goodfellas for the first time a couple weeks ago. And I had not it was watched amazing. It before that, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, started The Sopranos soon after. Kind of slow rolling my way through that. Um, but we watched Blow the Man Down on Amazon the other day. That was a phenomenal movie. Um, trying to think, we just just kind of whatever you know strikes the fancy at the time, pretty much. Very good. I've uh, mostly been movies, haven't done much TV watching. I say yet, but we're like two weeks into this quarantine, and I, I guess I'm just I guess I'm just not going to do it. I feel like I've wasted so much time not starting TV shows by watching movies and doing other things, but I don't know how long this thing's going to go on, so maybe I'll have a chance. Um, if, if you can recommend like one thing that you've watched in the last couple weeks for me and anybody listening, what would it be? I'm always a big fan of community. I watched mm-hmm. a lot of community. Um, so if you have some time and want to watch a very funny TV show, community is where I would start. So you know what's funny? That's the second time this week that community has come up on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network because I talked to Will Helms on Tuesday. He and I are doing it. Well, I, I say he and I. I'm just I'm kind of sitting here being an, an audience of, of one as he goes through his incredible breakdowns of each position group for the NFL draft class of 2020. But he was talking about how 
he likes TV shows with a lot of inside jokes with a lot of layers. And he's and he also said, well, and I'm also not good at finishing shows. Like I start a lot of things and I'll get halfway through and then I'll stop. And I'm like, I have the perfect show for you. Community is all community is is just a series of inside jokes and callbacks to other inside jokes made earlier in the season. And yes. you should only watch the first three seasons. Is that the camp that you're in, or are you an all six guy? Once Donald Glover left, I kind of tailed off. Okay. And that was like um, four or five? Yeah, I think that was after four, halfway through five or something like that. And um, once he kind of left, it kind of took a lot of the chemistry out of the show. But mm-hmm. I will say, season six, it was like eight episodes. Actually pretty funny. Was that the one they did on uh, like Yahoo or Amazon or something? Yeah, it was like a streaming service. And mm-hmm. yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed season six. Okay. And I did not expect to. I just stopped after three because that's what I was told to do. Because Dan Harmon, the showrunner, left after three, and then somebody else did it for four and five, and then he came back for six. And I guess the cast had like the cast changes remained, but Dan Harmon was back. So I guess I should give six a chance and maybe even watch four and five just for posterity. But for my money, like one through three is about as as good and as like uh, I, I guess tightly wound sounds like uh, sounds like an insult, but I, I mean it in a compliment. In that, like absolutely nothing slips through the cracks. Like everything in the show is very intentional, like very planned out, very. Uh, I, I guess I, don't, I can't think of a better word to describe it right now. But point is, it's a really good show. Um, so I, I will second that recommendation from you. Uh, I don't have any recommendations right now. I've I've been mostly watching like old movies. Some that I have seen, some that I haven't seen. Watched Kill Bill again earlier this week, just because it's like. And I'm gonna sound like a weirdo if I say that's easy watching, but it's just kind of like fun and like entertaining. Don't have to think about it too much. Yeah, um, you can have it on in the background and do other stuff. Yeah, yeah. The invention of lying, which I'd seen on TV, but watched it streaming. A couple other things. Anyway, hopefully I have some recommendations uh, next week. But that's where we are. Hope you all are also making the most of your quarantine. And we do actually have some sports content to get to because last week there were so many things that had gone on in the prior week two weeks ago that we didn't even really get a chance to wrap up the South Carolina season. We talked about sort of some of the implications. How do we think about the 2019-2020 season? What do we make of it for Frank Martin, for this unit, for expectations, for just general morale around the program, but didn't really get to descend into the particular. So that's what I want to do today. Colin Taylor always with all the good stats to help us make sense of some of the individual performances that South Carolina had this season. A lot of good ones, some mediocre ones. But I feel like by the end of this podcast, we will have added another entry into the, I guess, tome of what do we make of this season. And I have a feeling that as we go player by player through the season, we're going to end up feeling good about most of the individual seasons. And I have a feeling that might leave people just feeling good about the season as a whole, even though it, I mean, it didn't end at all, really. So kind of not how fans would have hoped, but... Um, you have the numbers right in front of you, and without spoiling too many of the specifics, am, am I right to feel like most of the individual seasons and most of the individual grades that we're about to talk about were positive for Carolina this year? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking, I'm kind of running through the roster right now. I mean, AJ Lawson, Jermaine Coos, you know, you can one way or another with AJ Lawson, but Kuznar, Coates are Bryant most of the time, Bolden some of the time, Manaya, Frank, McCreary, Hannibal, Levesque. I mean, all these guys had good years, so I think you're right. I mean, probably nine of the 13 guys are going to be raved about, and then everybody else at spurts where they showed some pretty good stuff. Yeah, okay. All right, good. So we're uh, we're going to end this podcast being mostly optimistic, and I guess not end the podcast because we're going to talk about this and then, as I mentioned, go back through the bracket because apparently the entire field of 64 
who's the greatest South Carolina athlete of all time was your brainchild. So I want to ask you about the process, and then we'll run through the basketball portion of the bracket. The second round just started. The voting started for that on Gamecock Central today, so we will update you on where that is according to the fan vote as well. But let's get started with the number one story of the 2019-2020 basketball season, the emergence and sustained excellence of Mike Coatsar, another entry in the, hey, look what happens when you play for Frank Martin for four years, especially when you're a big man. You develop, you learn the game, you learn how to be aggressive, you learn how to be a leader, you learn how to be an excellent, excellent defender, and that confidence spills over into your offensive game, which in the case of Mike Coatsar was pretty inconsistent. I think it's fair to say through the first three years of his career and finally settled into a consistent role. He finishes the season with 31 games played, averaging just over 30 minutes a game, averaging, now I'm looking at, this is laid out differently than I'm used to looking at it, uh, 11 points, almost 6.5 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 1.5 steals, 1 block on 49, almost 50% shooting from the field and almost 70% shooting from the free throw line. I think that last stat is the one that stands out the most to me because didn't he make like two of his last 50 free throws in the 2018-2019 yeah. season? It was something insane like that. I'm I'm looking it up. But he was bad from the free throw line, <laughs> yeah. I guess, the last like month of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm looking here. I mean, starting in February, 0 for 2. This was his junior year. 0 for 2, 0 for 2, 0 for 2, 0 for 4, 1 for 6, 1 for 2, 1 for 4, 0 for 2, 2 for 2. So the last month of the season, which included a month and a half, really, he made a grand total of two, three, four, five, five free throws. Man. Yeah. So as much as the season was, uh, you know, a turnaround for his game as a whole, I think that's the one number that stands out the most that probably jumped the biggest in terms of just counting stats from his junior year to his senior year. But what he did defensively, even though he got snubbed from the SEC all-defensive team, he still earned himself SEC all-second team honors. What do we need to say about Mike Coatsar that we haven't said throughout the course of the season that sums up which what has been and what was one of my favorite senior campaigns to watch for any South Carolina player in recent memory? I mean, good for Mike. That was awesome. Um, you don't root, you know, when you're in this business and you have to be unbiased, you don't root for necessarily a team. Like, I don't, you know, as for whatever people think, I really does not matter to me if South Carolina wins or loses. Um, my paycheck's the same, but when you're around guys for long stretches of times, like I was around Mike Coatsar for three years since I really started covering him, you get to know these guys and you start rooting for certain stories because Mike was such a nice guy, because Mike was such a hard worker and you can see how frustrated he was. You root for guys to have seasons like Mike had. And, and when he does – it makes you feel good because you're you've seen it come together. It's not like you just came in half stream and you're just watching, but you see how good he was and and how good it made him feel and how good it made his teammates and his coaches feel. That it, it I mean, good for Mike and and he deserves everything he gets um, this season and from here on out because of how hard he worked and how determined he was. He could have easily transferred after one of his years could have easily transferred, but stuck it out. And because of it became an all SEC selection and whether that's the NBA or somewhere overseas, when things start back up again, he's probably going to have a chance to go play professional basketball. Yeah. So before we get into the future of Mike, cause that is one of my next questions for you. We went through a lot of the advanced metrics, especially defensively towards the end of the year, because we thought that he had a legitimate case. And I still think that he has a legitimate case 
for being one of the best defenders in the SEC. Probably deserved a spot on the SEC All-Defensive team. Not that there's anyone that I would immediately look at that list and say, that guy doesn't deserve it. But I think it was a, I think it was a really good crop. Uh, a lot of really good defensive players in the SEC this year. They could have filled out you know, eight, no problem. And I don't think anyone would have had qualms with any name on that list if they had gone with eight. But what are some of the numbers that jump off the page? Um, again, I read you his box score. Some of the other advanced metrics, some of them are going to be defensive. I, I don't know what his offensive numbers look like because you're the you're the man that holds all the secrets in terms of the advanced stats. So uh, give me a couple that you feel like sum up Mike's season well. I mean, Mike, when you're looking at Kotsar, I mean, he didn't light anything up like other than defensive blocks plus minus, which we'll get to. But, I mean, blocks per game, he was top, you know, I think 15. I'm looking it up now. Um, I mean, his block rate was really, really good. Um, top 12 in the SEC in block rate, top 10 in steal rate. Um, I don't have specifics in front of me, but I bet he's probably one of the only few to be top 15 in both. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because big men don't really block or big men don't steal a lot of passes. Top 20 in defensive rebound rate. Top 25 in assist rate. I mean, that's an offensive stat, but phenomenal there. Um he was top 10 in blocks, top 10 in steals, just total. Um, I mean, rebounds per game, top 15. I'm looking for his defensive efficiency rating. Um, top 10 in steal percentage for the season. Third in defensive rating. So, essentially how many points per possession he allows. Mm. Um, 94.6 points per 100 possessions. Um, the Leader was at 90.7 in Austin Wiley. Adriel Bailey was at 92.1. There was only three players under 95, and Mike was one of them. So um, that's something impressive. He was top five in defensive win shares, which was really good, uh, 1.8. Um, tied for first, technically, um, at 1.8. Uh, win shares per 40 minutes, again, top 20. Defensive box plus minus. Um, Third, defensive box plus minus uh, behind Bailey at Arkansas and then Nebo at A&M. And then box plus minus overall was top 15. So, and I mean, just those numbers in and of itself should really tell you how good he was defensively, how versatile he was defensively because he had so many steals and so many blocks that mm-hmm. not a lot of big guys really do that. No, well, I mean, here case in point, he led South Carolina in blocks per game and in steals per game. That tells yeah, you everything I mean, you need to know. And he, by the way, he was second on the team in assists behind Jermaine Cousinard. Jermaine averaged 3.2 assists per game. Mike, 2.3. A.J. Lawson was – actually, sorry, he wasn't even third. Uh, Justin Minaya was third on the team with two, and A.J. Lawson was fourth with 1.9. So do it all. Really on both ends of the floor, again, I mean, his scoring was up but not an outrageous number, 11.2 points per game, but doing it on 50% shooting, which was, let's see, like fourth highest on the team. Uh, I mean, unless you include Trey Anderson, Mike Green. Uh, let's see, not, not Trey Anderson. If you include Mike Green. Um, there, there are a couple other guys down there that obviously didn't get as much run, that didn't get as much usage as Mike Coates are. So of the of like the top eight guys, if you look at AJ Lawson, Jermaine Cousinard, Mike Coates are, Keyshawn Bryant, Jerry Bolden, Justin Minaya, and Alonzo Frank, Mike had the... Second highest field goal percentage on the team. You throw in Jalen McCreary, uh, who had a 57% field goal percentage for the entire season. Point is, he scored efficiently. He defended multiple positions. He got steals. He got blocks. 
And by the way, the blocks thing, I mentioned the the free throw shooting number being the one that really jumped off the page considering how bad that was, especially towards the end of last year and how good it was for him this year. But the rim protection, the the over a block per game for Mike is the other most interesting and impressive development over the course of the year because he's a guy with not a huge vertical. And while he's really good defensively, he was never anyone that you considered a legitimate rim protector, and he turned himself into one this year. Yeah, I mean, he turned himself into a lot of things this year. I mean, give him a lot of credit because we spent all this time talking about, well, how are they going to replace Chris Silva? How are they going to replace Chris Silva? They're going to need – when you talked about replacing Chris Silva, I never thought Mike Coates are just because I thought their games were so vastly different. Um, Chris was the energy Chris was the rim protection. Chris was the rebounding. And Mike was kind of a little bit of everything else. So um, I was always like, Wilden Zavek has to come in and be really good. Alonzo Frink has to come in. Micaiah Henry mm-hmm. needed to come in and be good and, and give Mike credit because I never thought he would be that. And he turned himself into arguably the best defensive big man in the SEC, um, a, a top five defensive big man in the SEC this year unequivocally top five yeah no doubt about it I I really wish that the SEC all defensive team were were expanded to as many as nine which is what the uh, SEC just all first team had like regular all first team I know it's different because it's everything and this is just defensive but I I just wanted to see Mike Coatsar get a few more accolades than he got at the end of the season and it's also weird because the season didn't actually end I mean it ended because it's over but it didn't end I don't know how much the SEC tournament would have changed any of that. The voting came out before the SEC tournament started, so obviously it doesn't change anything. But in terms of anything else that he could have collected uh, as an accolade at the end of the season, I don't know. I-, I will always remember it fondly. I hope it goes down in history as one of the more memorable transformations and just stories of development that we've seen. I mean, watching Zendarius Thornwell's senior year was fantastic because he won SEC Player of the Year. You know, same with Chris Silva, and Chris Silva probably fits a little more into the Mike Coatsar category, but this one just feels so dramatic because, you know, with Chris Silva, from freshman year to senior year, you know, probably developed as much as Mike Coatsar, but it was really incremental. It was like he got a lot better from freshman year to sophomore year and from sophomore year to junior year and from junior year to senior year and turned himself into a legitimate NBA prospect and someone that's that was contributing on an NBA team before the NBA season ended. But for Mike, I think it in some ways it's more fun because it was basically – flat from freshman, sophomore to junior season, and then just made a huge leap his senior year. So it, it was a blast to watch for me, the number one story of the 2019-2020 season. And from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, I think the most disappointing season, pretty much inarguably, for South Carolina this year was A.J. Lawson. 31 games played, just under 30 minutes a game. 13.5 points did still lead the team in scoring. 3.7 rebounds, just under two assists, just over a steal. Two turnovers a game. Just 41.4% from the floor. He did shoot 72.4% from the free throw line, which is the best free throw percentage of anyone not named Mike Green or Trey Anderson. Shot 34% from three, a very respectable mark for college. Still probably the biggest disappointment of the season. Is that fair to say, Colin? Yeah, I mean, it's up there. Um, I think it's weird with AJ because I think if it was anybody else, on this team and you said they're averaging 13 points um, close to four. If it was, you said any other guard, you told me Jair Bolden averaged 13 and four and shot, you know, almost four, you know, 41, 42% from the field. I would say, okay, that's a pretty good season. But the fact that it's AJ Lawson and there was so much expectation and and thoughts that he was going to be the guy. um, 
makes it kind of a disappointment. And, and AJ played well at times and was inconsistent at times. And uh, that's the frustrating part with his season because you expected so much more out of him. Um, I think that when he was on, he was on, and you saw that. And when he wasn't, he wasn't, and you saw that. So it was this weird dichotomy where there wasn't a whole lot of in-between with him. He was either giving you 15 and 6 or giving you 8 and 2 kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I frustrated for him at times. Um, I think he really benefited from having Jermaine step into the point guard role, and I think he really benefited from that but was still inconsistent. So uh, going to be pretty interesting to see what he does, and I hope that he kind of comes to a decision soon and kind of figures out what he wants to do with his next – I guess a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll get to that. You know what the future is for AJ Lawson uh, right now. Still a little bit uncertain, and I mean just a lot of uncertainty everywhere in the sports world. So I don't know how soon we should necessarily expect an answer. But for AJ, I mean you're exactly right. When you put those numbers in anyone else's body, that's a pretty respectable season. Even for AJ, when you just look at the box score, you say 13 and a half points. Okay, that should have been 16 or 17, but 13 and a half points is fine. Almost four rebounds. You're shooting 34 percent from three. Almost 73 percent from the free throw line. The numbers that stand out as particularly bad are the assist-to-turnover ratio, just under one, which is not good, and then only shooting 41.5% from the field. One thing that you do look at, and, and you just made this point, but you wonder if Jermaine Cousinard had been the starting point guard from the word go back in, what was it, like the very, was the very end of November or end of October? When did the basketball season start? Beginning of November, right? Yeah, so like November 1st. I couldn't remember if it was November. like, yeah, it was like the... I think November 6th was their North Alabama game. So okay, all right, first so the first week of November. Yeah. yeah, all right. If from November 6th through the end of the season, Jermaine Cousinard had been South Carolina's starting point guard, if AJ didn't have to play point or share a backcourt with Jerry Bolden as a starter for a big chunk of the season, how differently would his season have gone? It's impossible to say now. I feel like it would have been better. At the end of the day, AJ just needed to be better. But, I mean, he was asked to do a lot, and he was constantly moved around. Uh, in, including being benched late in a couple of games. It wasn't a good season for him, but it, it was a tough season to get through everything that he was trying to get through, being the guy while also trying to help the team establish its identity and the identity kind of like uh, vacillating between AJ's the guy, everything needs to go through him, to, oh, no, now you're going to play off the ball, to, okay, but now we need you to still sometimes be the primary playmaker. It, it was a tough year for him. Yeah, and I think that he kind of struggled – with what his role was and kind of shouldering expectations. What, what Chris Silva went through his, I want to say his junior year. No, it would have been his, his senior year where they lost to Wyoming, where he was kind of struggling to fit into a leadership role and kind of figure out shouldering a lot of the load from an offensive standpoint and a leadership standpoint. AJ Lawson went through this year where he was struggling to be like, okay, I need to be the guy that puts up 16 or 17 or 18 a game. And I have to be the guy that leads the team. He struggled balancing that. And you saw that at times. Um, you saw him pressing. And when Jermaine took over, you saw a little bit less of that. You saw his numbers kind of go up a little bit. Um, it was just inconsistent. And I don't know if that was him putting too much pressure on himself, whether that was him just uh, consistency was the issue. And then you see that in his numbers. Um, almost every number in conference play from – went down from last year to this year. Uh, he shot better in conference play this year, but his offensive rating was down. His rebound rates, 
Um, his defensive rebound rate went up, but his offensive rebound rate went down. His assist rate went down. His turnover rate went up. Um, he shot. Um, his free throw rate was worse. Um, he committed more fouls per 40. Um, his two-point percentage was pretty comparable. Um, shot worse from three. It was just one of those where everything kind of went down a tick when it should have gone up. Um, so, you know, what that means for A.J. Lawson, we don't know right now concretely, but um, I think he'd benefit from coming back for another year. I think unequivocally that is the case, especially when you look at, and we've talked about this already a couple times on the podcast, when you look at what the composition of the team would be, and as much as I think A.J.'s struggles, especially early in the season, had to do with the team's lack of identity, I think you would know exactly what this team's identity is. You would know exactly what the personnel was. It's like, okay, maybe you don't know exactly who your starting center is, but you know who the starting backcourt is. You know how the offense is going to work, how the defense is going to work. I think that would that would really help AJ because for most of the season, especially in non-com play, it was, it was unsettled. The other part of AJ's game that was just as up and down as, as his offensive game but doesn't show up necessarily in the box score was the defense. He's someone, I think he probably, I would say without looking at the numbers, just based on the eye test, watching him and listening to Frank Martin talk about it after certain games, I would say overall, pretty poor defensive year for AJ considering the upside that he has as a long guy for his position you would expect him to be a much better defender than he is are the advanced metrics kinder than Frank Martin or the eye test to AJ I mean sure um I guess you can't be harsher than Frank yeah uh so his offensive rating or his, his offensive rating actually went up this year uh, according to basketball reference so it went up three points per 100 possessions. And his defensive rating actually went down, which is what you want. It went in the right direction. So he was giving up less than 100 points per possession. But it was still close to 100, close to a point per possession, um, which obviously puts him at the bottom of the team. Um, the guys that were below him, if my computer will actually work with me here, um, Defensive rating, there were only one, two, three, four, five guys ranked below him in defensive rating. Um, Jair Bolden, Jermaine Kusnard, TJ Moss, Trey Anderson, and Nathan Nelson. Hmm. So that's kind of where you were defensively. So maybe like on his own, I don't know where exactly those numbers would rank in the SEC, but probably like an average to above average defender. But considering South Carolina finished the season with the best defensive efficiency in the SEC, He's kind of by virtue of that on the low end of the roster. So, okay, ultimately kind of matches the eye test. Disappointing season for him uh, defensively, even if the numbers are better than last year. Really surprised to hear that his offensive efficiency went up. Is that just due to due to 34% from three and 72.5% from the free throw line? Yeah, and he had a few pretty efficient games, um, which helps his case there. All right. So from the most exciting and most, uh, I guess, most positive story to the most disappointing story. Now we go back to the top again. Probably the second most exciting story from the 2019-2020 basketball season is the emergence of Jermaine Cousinard. Played in 30 games, started not 30 when he started, 17 of them probably. I think that's mm -hmm. right, 17, 16, 17. 26 minutes a game, just over 12 points a game, almost three rebounds a game, three about three assists a game, almost a full steal per game. Did average 2.2 turnovers a game, shot under 40% from the field, 
Shot 67% from the free throw line and just 29% from three. The box score numbers don't look great. I mean, frankly, they look, I mean, a good bit worse than A.J. Lawson's with the exception of the assist number. But his emergence, and we talked about what it meant, you know, for A.J.'s game and for everybody, what inserting him into the starting lineup did for the team doesn't show up in the box score, doesn't show up in the advanced analytics probably, is really hard to quantify. The impact that he had just makes you wonder what could have been, like I said, if he was the starter from November 6th on and sort of what the future of this team is with a true SEC point guard that can go and get you 30 a night against anybody on any given night or go 10 assists and no turnovers, which I think you said had never been done in the history of South Carolina basketball, or at least not recently, at least not as far back as the stats go. A guy with a lot of upside and a guy that had a really, really fun, exciting freshman year. Yeah, I mean, a Cinderius Thornwell, I've said it a bunch, a Cinderius Thornwell level of freshman year. Um, if you want to play revisionist history, with the, which a lot of people do, and we will at times, um, the what happens if, you know, there are two big ones, which is what happens if Justin Manai doesn't get hurt and what happens if Jermaine Kusnarch is starting point guard day one. Um, he is as close to Sundarius as you can get. Um, and he is the reason why this is the best I felt about South Carolina's on-court leadership in since that 2017 year. Um, he gets to the rim, can shoot the ball well at times. I mean, scores, passes, is just so physical and so versatile when it comes to where you can play him. He's going to be a good one. I mean, he's going to be a really, really, really good player if he continues to develop the way he is. And you have to like where South Carolina is with Kusnard leading this team, whether that's at the point, whether that's at the two, and what he can do for other guys on the court. Because he is he's a guy that just kind of brings everybody up to his level and demands excellence, and, and good for him because South Carolina needed a guy like that. If Carolina fans are worried about A.J. Lawson leaving, one, you probably should be um, because he still represents a lot of upside and he represents maybe your best potential pro talent kind of guy on the roster. And if he comes back for his junior year and is anywhere close to what he even should have been just his sophomore year, I think the upside for this team goes up at least like 10 or 15%. I mean, he, he's just so, so valuable. But the emergence of Jermaine Kusnard late in the year, I think, would make the potential departure of A.J. Lawson hurt a little bit less because he he kind of he, he fills that role for you and then some in terms of being a leader, in terms of someone that can distribute and is the primary playmaker of this team and also someone that can go and score. He's got to do it more efficiently. Again, sub 40% from the floor is not very good. Sub 30% from three is not very good. His free throw shooting number needs to be above 67% as well. But everything else in his game is there, and it's just a matter of it slowing down for him him getting, I guess, a little bit more in, into the rhythm of the offense, which we saw several times in games late in, late in the year. I mean, what was it the uh, – which game was it that he had 10 assists and no turnovers? I can't remember now. Oh, goodness. It was like one of the last three games of the season. Like, he's he was still getting better. That's maybe one of the biggest disappointments of of the season ending how it did is you felt like, you know, every bit of – I mean, it felt the, the, as much as the team was up and down, it felt like Jermaine was trending in the right direction. I wanted to see how Mike Coatsar was going to finish the season. He didn't want to go out with a whimper, you know, losing to Vanderbilt and then losing to, to Arkansas in the SEC tournament. And we've seen, we'd seen Jermaine have 
the explosive scoring games against Kentucky, against Ole Miss. We'd seen him have, you know, the I'm just going to sit back here and play Scott Skiles and just dish a million assists and also not turn the ball over. And it felt like he had at least one game in him, maybe in the SEC tournament, where he was going to put it all together and just have like a 26 and 11. Like that's in the cards for him, like any given night. And I wanted to see that. I feel a little bit robbed. But if that's your potential upside, and, and and you have the option to you know either put him next to Seventh Woods or move Jair Bolden back into the starting lineup or or move Trey Hannibal or whomever into the starting lineup, I, I think with his emergence, Carolina fans can now better afford the loss of AJ Lawson. Yeah, and I think that the fact that Jermaine got better and is showing signs of development and not plateauing makes you feel pretty confident about where this program is right now and how good, even if A.J. Lawson, let's say, you know, A.J. Lawson comes back and things go from you could be good to you could be really, really good Mm -hmm. next year. Even if he doesn't come back, that core group of guys that you brought in over a two-year stretch, the Keyshawn Bryant, you know, Justin Minai is only a redshirt. He'd be a redshirt junior next year. Um, Jermaine Kushnard, Trey Hannibal, Wilson Zavek, Jalen McCree, that core group is coming back. And that means a lot for South Carolina to where you have guys that have played a lot of games now, mm-hmm. kind of know what to expect and have played together. Um, you you feel really good. Um, and Jermaine is probably 1A in terms of why you feel really good about where you are right now. Even if AJ Lawson leaves because of what Jermaine's done, because of what you brought in, like you said, I still feel I feel like Carolina should expect to make the NCAA tournament and should expect to be a top five team in the SEC next year. Is that fair? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think so. At least a top half. Yeah. Man. Yeah. We have all season to talk about this and get excited about it, but I'm uh, I'm already excited, as anticipated, kind of going through, again, the individual seasons of some of these guys is, is a lot of fun, and we haven't even gotten to a lot of the young ones. We're going to have to pick it up so this podcast is in 15 hours. Uh, next up, kind of middle of the road. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, more ups than downs by the end of the season. And so recency bias would say, hey, you know, it's actually a pretty good season. I think overall disappointing sophomore campaign for Keyshawn Bryant, obviously shortened by injury on the front end of the season and then missed a couple, uh, I guess just the one game in the middle of the season, the concussion that he picked up against Texas A&M, kept him out of that game. He played three minutes or whatever it was in that game. Up and down season, the scoring started to pick up a little bit late. The rebounding started to pick up a little bit late. And maybe this was just a case of, it took him a while to get his legs back after missing the preseason and the first part of the non-conference slate with that leg injury. Overall, I still think it's fair to say disappointing season for Keyshawn, but I I think it's not wrong to be encouraged by the trajectory that he was on by the end of the season. Oh, absolutely. I think he would be the first one to say he wanted to do more. Um, injuries prevented that. Um, took him a while. Every time he looked to get going, something would happen. Um, Frank Martin raved about the fact that he was playing so well um, in the preseason. So it was like, uh, you know, all this stuff that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, and then he get hurt. And then he's playing well and then gets a concussion. And then it took him a while to get his steam back. So um, I think Keyshawn would be the first one to say he wishes he could do more. But let's look at his final, like, I think five games, sorry, his final five games of the year. Um, averaged 15.6 points, 9.4 rebounds, and a 1.2 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.8 turnovers, a block, uh, shot 51.8% from the field, 
um, and 71.4% from the free throw line. That's what you want. Yeah, that's that's Keyshawn Bryant. If Mm -hmm. he can do that for you every game, you're going to win more than you lose, Um, which is why I'm encouraged. That's the Keyshawn Bryant when he's at his apex. That's what you're seeing. Um, And if if he can do that, maybe if he can even increase that a little bit this offseason and develop a three-point shot and keep defenses, you know, spaced out to him, Mm -hmm. and that really, really helps his game. He did all of that without a three-point shot. So – um, if he can develop that, then you're talking about a team that's really, really dangerous. Another trend that emerged with Keyshawn Bryant, and I think you can go either way, depending on if you're a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person. He got blocked at the rim a lot this year. I would look at that and say, you know, in the same way that the rest of his game kind of followed this trend, he didn't have his legs back. He wasn't totally comfortable. It took him most of the season to get back to where he felt completely comfortable with his body and with his game. And once he did, we saw a few more of those high-flying dunks. But the thing that encouraged me maybe most about that was that he kept trying them. You know, he got blocked on those, whether it was a you know, high-flying alley-oop or whatever, he, a couple times, especially early in the season, but he kept trying it. And I remember there was one dunk that he, I think he just missed it. I don't even think he got blocked or maybe he got tipped or something. But point is, he had a dunk that he would have flushed, you know, 10 times out of 10 last year. He missed it. And I was like, you know what? I'm still glad he's going for that. I'm still glad that he has that aggressive mentality. And we saw it pay off, again, not even with the dunks, but just with his game in general. It followed. He stayed aggressive, sometimes too aggressive, but he stayed aggressive. He got back into it, and I am hopeful that he continues to try to put on those poster dunks a couple times a game next year because as much as it's just like fun to watch as a fan and it's cool if it ever shows up on SportsCenter or you know circulating Instagram or Twitter or something like that, it really, really energizes the team. It's a lot of fun. I think it's an important play, and I'm glad that he didn't get discouraged even though he didn't finish as many of them this year as he did last year. And, you know, just the rest of his game wasn't in the same place. I'm glad that he kind of kept the same mentality by and large. Yeah, and he was one of the very few guys that on a night-in and night-out basis he was going to attack. So that was good to see from him, and that wasn't the case with the entire team all year. So um, if you can continue to get guys like him in there that want to attack and want to make those plays that <sighs> – team has a chance to be pretty pretty darn good next year from one up and down season to the next Jair Bolden is next on our list the starting point guard for a while moved to the bench where he seemed a lot more comfortable but still had you know a couple of nice games as a starting point guard including of course the I guess magnum opus of his first season with South Carolina the 22.8 of 13 shooting performance and the upset victory up in Charlottesville over Virginia certainly the height of his probably the height of his season and certainly the height of his time as a starting point guard. But in the same way that Keyshawn Bryant sort of grew back into his body post-injury as the season went along, I think Jair settled into a, a role where he looks to be pretty comfortable as the first guy off the bench, as sort of a spark plug scorer against some second units and backup two guards. I feel like it's premature to say he will be a finalist for sixth man of the year. But since he moved from... Starting point guard to the bench. He scored 19 points, 10 points, 13 points, 12 points. He had a five-point there, a zero-point stinker uh, in just nine minutes against Ole Miss. Eight points, three points, eight points, six points, 15 points, zero points on 0-5 shooting in the win against Georgia. 11 points, eight points, and then didn't score again against Vanderbilt. But by and large, you know, 19 points, 10 points, 13 points, 12 points, 15 points, 11 points. 
If he can be that guy, he's going to put himself in the conversation for six man of the year if he's in double-digit scoring in like 20, 25-ish minutes coming off the bench next year. Yeah, and I think he was a, a victim of kind of not knowing. It's not like he didn't know his role, but just kind of settling into a role, and he pressed at times and um, just was inconsistent to start. And When he knows his role and he's playing well coming off the bench, yeah, I mean, I think he's got a really good chance. I think that that was the most disappointing part for me because I expected a little bit more from Bolden given the fact that we had heard so much about him being a scorer. And he finished fifth on the team in scoring, but – I think you want more from him. I think you want double-digit averages. I think you want a guy that can come in and hit, you know, two, three, four threes in a game, um, which he needs to do more consistently. Um, but if you can, if he could be a key piece off the bench and you're, you know, number one or number two guard, depending on where you, where you play seventh, then you get a guy that can really, really help this team. Yeah, and he's a total heat check guy. I don't want to say he's the most heat check guy on the team because the scoring outputs that we saw from Jermaine probably give him the number one nod there. But I guess there, I guess when I say heat check guy, I just mean there's a lot of variance. Like there's going to be, I would say most games next year, Jair Bolden will probably score between five and nine. That probably needs to be the range that he shoots for. And, and honestly, probably between like six and 10 or seven and 11, something like that. But if he goes for 25, you're not surprised. Jermaine, I imagine, will be in like that 17 to 22 and every once in a while explode for 25, 27, 28, 30, 35, whatever it is. But in terms of the variance in his game and in terms of can this guy come in and hit four threes in four minutes? Like, yeah, that's that's probably Jerry Bolden's the number one guy on that list. And that's that's really valuable, especially when you have a starting lineup that already projects to be as solid as it is for Carolina next year. Yeah, the best comp I can give on court wise to Jerry Bolden um, is Ross Elder where he's going to pull up from wherever he wants to pull up, and it's either going to spark a run for South Carolina or give the other team the spark and have them go on a 10-0 run. Regardless, it's good or bad. Um, it's as, as heat check as, as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if he can rein it in and play within the range of the offense, which he's done a lot, then you feel good about what Jair Bolton gives you. But um, kind of to be determined with him. I think this offseason is going to go a long way in determining how good – he can be and how good his and how big his role is because they need a guard that can, this is such a guard heavy team. They're going to need guys like Jair Bolton and seventh and Trey to really step up and, you know, carry some of the load to take some of the pressure off Kustar and Lawson. If Lawson comes back. What's kind of funny. I'm looking at his uh, season game log again. There was only one game where he made one shot to your point. So he's either not going to make anything because his shot's just not falling, or he's going to make a bunch of shots. The only game that he hit one shot was the first Georgia game. He went one of six and scored three points. And then since then, it was uh, from there to the end of the season, it was three of eight, two of three, six of nine, 0 of five, four of seven, three of four, 0 of four. He, he's, he's either got it or he doesn't, which is which is it's fun, kind of frustrating at times, but uh, you're right. It's For him, it's all about settling into the role, and it's kind of the flip side of the conversation that we were having with A.J. Lawson, or not even the flip side, it's, it's a similar issue where not only was it about finding your role, but it was about finding your role, settling into it, and then as conference play started, rediscovering your role and then settling into that. So you look at, I know Carolina didn't end the season on a high note. They, what was it, lost four of their last six, including losing to Vanderbilt, which is incredibly disappointing. But as we go through these individual performances, it was guys mostly playing well, maybe not being able to put it together as a team, a few bad defensive performances in there. But I don't know. I, I felt like, 
and maybe we're like getting far enough away now that I'm allowing myself to be optimistic because it sounds like you thought Carolina was probably going to lose to Arkansas on Thursday night, that first game they were going to play in the SEC tournament. But I also felt like there could have been a run in there with, you know, Jermaine taking his scoring up a notch and AJ finding his form again. And with Justin Manaya coming back and he played well against Vanderbilt, continuing to do that. And you get one heat check game from Jair Bolden in the SEC, like semifinal, the SEC tournament semifinal game. Like that's all you need. And then all of a sudden they're right there. This team had it. They had it all year. It felt like maybe, it felt like maybe that was on deck in the SEC tournament, and we'll never know. Yeah, no, I agree. And you know, while I think Arkansas was playing about as good as anybody in the conference at that point, would it shock me if South Carolina went in there and won? No, because they did it before, and that was on the road. So, um, yeah, this this team is inconsistency and up and downness. Kind of, I don't know if up and downness is a word, but kind of define the season. Um, and it wouldn't shock me if up and downness kind of struck in the SEC tournament if they ever got to play. Up and downness is now a word. You just made it so. Uh, I also realized, I apologize for this, Jerry Bolden, I didn't give you his full stats. For those of you that care, it's for those of you that were happy I didn't because I annoyed you by doing it with the first three players we talked about. Also, sorry to you, but Jerry Bolden played 30 games, averaged 21 and a half minutes a game, eight and a half points, two and a half rebounds, one and a half assists, just under one steal per game, uh, basically no blocks, point one. Uh, Average almost one turnover per game. Shot only 41.7%. Am I looking at the right line yet? 41.7% from the field, 70% from the free throw line, and 41.2% from three. Yeah, that's that's your heat check. And I I didn't read it for Keyshawn either. Uh, Just 22 games played, 21.5 minutes per game. Nine points, four and a half rebounds, almost one and a half assists, about a steal and about a block a game. Two turnovers a game. That's got to get... I think that's got to get way down. It kind of did towards the end of the season for him, fortunately. 46.5% 46.5% from the field, 68% from the free throw line, another you know good number, an uptick from last year for him. And it says 6.7% from three, is that right? He just made the one all season? He didn't make another one? Yeah. Yep. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, he's got to find that shot. All right, next guy up on the list, the last South Carolina player that averaged at least 20 minutes a game, that was Justin Manaya. He played just under 30 minutes a game, 29.8 minutes per game, scored eight points, six rebounds, two assists, a uh, half steal, a full block, a full turnover, 41% from the field, 66% from the free throw line, just 26% from the three-point line, and obviously missed the middle chunk of the season, the middle chunk of conference play with that thumb injury. Overall, probably put it in the category of Keyshawn Bryant and Jair Bolden, where it's a little bit disappointing, it's a little bit up and down, but even when his offensive game wasn't there, continues to be solid defensively, and towards the end of the season, as he started to find his shot, especially from three, you see how valuable he is, especially as that glue guy that kind of just elevates everybody else on the court in a different way than Jermaine Cousinard, but you see how crucial he is to South Carolina's success. Up and down season, but again, you take the injury out of there. I mean, he was he was really starting to roll there, and I think you have to expect that he will come back and continue to be the second most important guy on the team probably next year. Yeah, no, if, if not the most important, I mean, what Justin Manaya does does sometimes doesn't show up on stat sheets and sometimes really does. And South Carolina goes a long way when he's doing really well. I mean, you saw that. I mean, they were playing like a top four team in the SEC with him in there the last, I think, four or five games that he played. Um, and I think the last four or five that he played before the Vanderbilt game, they were four and one with the only loss to Auburn on the road. So, um, with a couple 20-point blowouts in there, too. So, if he's back full strength, 
he's really good. He defends. He um, shoots the ball well. I mean, passes, just rebounds. Whatever you can do on a basketball court, he does well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's just it's uncanny. And he doesn't do it. He's not going to be the guy that's like, man, he's your best three-point shooter, rebounder, pass, or whatever. But he's going to do everything. It's probably going to be your second best at everything. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot I can say other than Justin and I was really, really good. And there's probably going to be a piece within the next few days on um, what this season would have looked like if Manaya was healthy for those mm-hmm. nine games. Um, and um, not a spoiler, but they probably play better and win more games. I think that's fair to say. I have to look for that on GamecockCentral.com. I, I guess I'll say it like this with Justin Manaya. With almost everything else and everyone else on South Carolina's team, there's somebody else that can do it, whatever that it is. If you needed to rely on A.J. Lawson for scoring, Jermaine Kuznar can also give you that scoring. Keyshawn Bryant can give you that scoring. And Jair Bolden can give you that scoring off the bench. And Mike Kotsar had games where he could give you that scoring. If you need rebounds and it's not coming from Mike Kotsar, you can get it from Keyshawn Bryant. You can get it from Jalen McCreary. You can get it from Wilden Levesque. If you need playmaking from A.J. Lawson and you're not getting that, you can get it from Kuznar. You can get it, you know, Bryant showed flashes of that this year. You saw flashes of that from Jalen McCreary. Even Jair Bolden had a couple of nice games where he looked like a real tried and true, like comfortable with the ball in his hands kind of playmaker, especially once he moved into a little more off the ball role and he was doing some of that in kind of the second phase of the offense. But no one else on the team can really do what Justin Minaya does because of the versatility in his game. If A.J. Lawson leaves, South Carolina will replace him with Seventh Woods and Trey Hannibal and Jair Bolden and probably be fine. Mike Kotar is leaving. They're going to have Jalen McCreary and, and Wilden Zavek to step in there. When Justin Minaya went down for those nine games, and if he were to, you know, I mean, I, I guess he I guess he could technically because he's been in college for, this was his third year, but if for some reason he left or, like, retired or something, there's nobody else that can really step into that role and offer for this team what Justin Minaya offers to this team. No, he's the most unique. I think Frank said he's the most unique player on the team, just in terms of skill set, in terms of just leadership and vocalness and, you know, whatever else you want to say, he's, I mean, unique because he does everything so damn well. That's the top uh, six minute getters for South Carolina. Angel Austin, Jermaine Kusinar, Mike Kotsar, Keyshawn Bryant, Jair Bolden, Justin Minaya. That's kind of the core of the team. Uh, next up, the kind of second category of role players. There were three guys, excuse me, four guys that averaged in the teens in terms of minutes per game. We will start with the top minutes getter there, and that's Alonzo Frank. Played in 30 games, 14 minutes a game, five points, almost four rebounds, uh, half an assist, half a steal, .7 blocks. I think his rim protection was one of the better emergent stories in terms of Frank developing his game, even if his sophomore year overall I think was pretty disappointing. Uh, Averaged almost 60% from the field. He had a better field goal percentage than his free throw percentage, which was 57%. Uh, did not, I know he didn't make a three. I don't even know if he took a three this year. How would you characterize Alonzo Frank's season? Um, up and down, um, like a lot of these guys, up and downness. Uh, offensively speaking, maybe the best offensive big on the team. Um, I mean, shot 60% from the field. I mean, that's kind of amazing. Uh, 60, almost 62% from two. So you like what he gives you offensively. He was battling a knee injury for the better part of conference play, which kind of kept him in and out of the lineup. Um, you saw what Alonzo Frank could do late in the year. Uh, still needs to be more consistent, but the fact that he shot, 
I mean, what was it? Eight of ten, four of four, three for four, two for five the last four games. Um, 22 points, 10 points, eight points, eight points. If he can give you eight to 12 points a game, give you six to eight rebounds, um, that's good. And he struggled to figure out his role, um, but he's got potential. And I think that once he gets fully, fully healthy, he's having a knee procedure soon. Um, it should be pretty good um, in terms of what he's able to give this team. Is he a starter? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, he can still give you something off the bench um, night in and night out because of how good he is offensively. Defensively, he has to obviously get better. But that comes just with more time and more, you know, effort in the program. Mm-hmm. Good offensive rebounder. He and Wilden Zavec were battling it out for the team crown for best offensive rebounding rate. I don't know exactly where that ended up. I don't know if you have the numbers right in front of you. But I think the best way to look at Frank's season, if we want to look at both sides, you can say Frank had a disappointing sophomore season relative to the expectations based on how he flashed offensively as a freshman, as a young big, and he transformed his body. You would have expected him to be a little bit more consistent, but he didn't have as as much opportunity, and, and part of that's because Wilden Zavec and Jalen McCreary came in and were ready to contribute pretty much right away and did so, and we're going to talk about both of those guys in just a second. The other side of that, though, is you can say, well, if Alonzo Frank had been better, then maybe there would not have been as much opportunity for Jalen McCreary and Wilden Zavec, which, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad, just sort of a neutral statement that part of the reason those guys got as many looks as they did is because Frank wasn't ready, particularly defensively, uh, as as he wasn't as ready as you would have hoped. Now, like I said, uh, the rim protection numbers were actually pretty good for him. I don't know what his defensive rating was. It's a small sample size. I don't know exactly how much those numbers can tell us, although I guess it is over the co- a course of a full season. But he's still not good when he gets switched on to smaller players. But his post-defense, I think, improved. And, he's again, he's never going to be like a, an amazing shot blocker. But if he can be decent enough as the lone big on the floor and his offensive game continues to develop, because right now it's like, He's only worth having on the floor if he can score as much as he's giving it up on the other end, or that's sort of where he was his freshman year and the early part of his sophomore year. But if he can become just sort of a net neutral defender, he's going to give you upside based on his offensive productivity and based on his offensive rebounding. Yeah, and when he gives you that, you have a chance to win night in and night out. Um, He was top five for the entire season in terms of defensive rating. Um, was sixth just in conference games in defensive rating. So he got better. Uh, I think the expectations, because everyone talked about how much he changed his body, how much he, you know, really looked the part this year. Um, I think expectations were higher. So um, I think that's a big thing. But, you know, now it's just about kind of putting it all together and getting better defensively. And if he can do that, he has a legitimate shot to be a starter next season um, and compete for one of those, you know, depending on how Frank wants to play it, um, a four or play the center spot. The fourth guard by the end of the season for South Carolina was Trey Hannibal. 26 games played, 12.7 minutes per game, four points, two rebounds, just over an assist, just over one steal, uh, no blocks to speak of, one and a half turnovers per game, shot 42.5% from the floor, 60% from the free throw line, and 15.4% from three when you and I did maybe our first podcast together, it was one of the first ones that we did. It was around the time of the Virginia game. We were wondering, based on the exciting play that we had seen from Trey Hannibal, why wasn't he playing more? Sort of concluded that maybe he wasn't doing it in practice, even though he was doing it in the games. And Frank Martin likes to see guys perform more consistently in practice before he gives them just a bunch of playing time in games. You and I were both 
pessimistic that he would overtake T.J. Moss as that next guard off the bench for South Carolina, really the next playmaker because Jair Bolden, you know, come in, stand in the corner, shoot threes, every once in a while take two dribbles to get to your spot and pull up. But Trey Hannibal, the, the real backup point guard on this team, overtook T.J. Moss as he should. We'll talk about Moss here in just a second. But Trey Hannibal, one of the other fun, encouraging stories in terms of young freshmen that give Carolina fans or should give Carolina fans reason for optimism for years to come, despite being a little bit up and down and maybe hitting a little bit of a freshman wall towards the end of the season. Yeah. Um, it was the number three or four guard, depending on the game, coming off the bench and showed flashes of being an elite passer, showed flashes of being, I mean, really good. And if he could develop a three-point shot, he's going to be really, really good. Um, physical, gets to the rim, great. I mean, elite defender as a freshman. Um, was second on the team in defensive rating. Um, in conference play, he was first on the team in defensive rating, uh, above Mike Coates are. So you like where this kid is as an 18, 19-year-old. Um, he's got a chance to be a pretty darn good one. The physicality, he's so good, so good as an on-ball defender. And, and, and let me just do it like this. So he is second on the team in steals per game. So that is Here's how many steals you have. Here's how many games you have. We're going to divide that up. It's 1.2 steals per game. Tied with A.J. Lawson and three-tenths of a steal behind Mike Kotsar. Mike Kotsar played 30 and a half minutes per game. A.J. Lawson played 29 minutes per game. Trey Hannibal averaged 12.7 minutes per game and was still able to steal the ball over one time per game. So one steal per every 12 minutes, essentially. So he's going to be averaging three steals a game when he's playing 36 minutes next year. That's That's how that math works, right? Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at his per 40, um, let's do that. His per 40 minutes, he averaged, if I can find him, 3.9 steals per game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you Fantastic. he's playing 30, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really, really good. And uh, I think his plus minus was off the chart. Um, I think he was third on the team in SEC play, just SEC play at plus mm -hmm. 59. Wow. Behind Kusnard and Kotsar. So, like, I mean, A.J. Lawson wasn't even as high as him. Mm -hmm. Justin Manaya wasn't as high as him. Now, granted, didn't play for nine games. Um, but he was plus 59, which, as a non-starter, to be plus 59, that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, so, and he only played in – he didn't play in one of those games um, with that ankle injury. So, he was 20 points ahead of Keyshawn Bryant. I mean, this guy comes in and makes an impact. I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on him just to say I don't know if he's yet ready to be a like 32, 35-minute-per-game guard in the SEC, but he will certainly see his minutes increase from not quite 13. I imagine he'll be pretty comfortably in that 18 to 22, at least to start the season. Again, his on-ball defense, his physicality, his ability to just pick people's pocket. I mean, it was so weird, too, because as tightly as games were called all across the SEC, and especially for South Carolina, he did things that looked like refs would call them as fouls all game, and he never got called for it. I don't know if it's because they didn't want to call him or if because the refs are actually seeing something different with what he's doing, but he is so crafty the way that he gets in passing lanes and picks people's pockets. I, I can't remember which game specifically, but I will never forget the play where he was... It wasn't even the guy that he was defending. Somebody was was dribbling around a screen, and he had. He, I guess he was like... I don't even remember what happened. I think there there was a switch. He was on a big for some reason... They ran a pick and roll. He was kind of hung up on the screen and behind the big, 
and was still able to stick his arm out and poke the ball away from the ball handler who was dribbling around the big, kind of on the other side. I was like, I, I don't even know how you got your arm there. But it's that kind of stuff. An incredibly athletic and exciting finisher around the rim. But you're right, he's got to get the outside shot. He's got to get the turnovers down a little bit because he had too many of those that were they were lazy and cost you know Carolina points in transition. So he's still got a ways to go before he's like a 30-minute-per-game like true point guard kind of guy. But again, like Jair Bolden, as an impact guy off the bench, that's as good as you get. Yeah, no, and and he's going to – I don't know if he's going to be a starter next year um, with kind of a pretty good crop of guards in front of him, but he's going to have his minutes go up. Uh, I think he averaged, I want to say, in conference play, or just overall, he averaged 12.7. I could see it going up to 16, 18, 20, depending on the game. Um, and he's going to make an impact, and if he continues to play like that, he could start some games. He's definitely he's on the short list of people to be a starter by the time he's a junior. I mean, by the time he's there and by the time, you know, he's starting to really round into form, he's going to be a really, really good guard mm-hmm. and just a guy that can come in and beat people down defensively and just, I mean, there's no drop-off when it comes to that if you take Jermaine out and put him in. Last of the double-digit minute-per-game guys is TJ Moss. I feel like we've piled on him a lot this year, so I'm going to try to not do that too much because I feel like we've already already kind of said what we needed to, but maybe the most disappointing season. I, I said that was A.J. Lawson because A.J. Lawson had like legitimate pro aspirations heading into the season, but T.J. Moss, I mean, he only played seven games last year or six games or whatever it was. So maybe we were unfair to expect him to be really, really good, but he seemed like he was going to be fine coming into this year as a backup point guard, even if he wasn't going to offer you a lot of scoring upside, he seemed like someone that could playmate, playmate and someone that could defend. He didn't really do any of that. He had a good game against Kentucky, and that was Carolina's biggest win of the season. So shout out to TJ Moss for having a good game and the most important and biggest win of South Carolina or for South Carolina for the entire season. But other than that, really disappointing season. He played in all 30 games, 11.8 minutes per game, two points, about a rebound, one and a half assists, uh, three-tenths of a steal, half a block, half a turnover. He did actually shoot 61% from the field, but he just kind of went one of two pretty much every game, or 0 of one, or two of three, or something like that. I don't know if he took more than three shots all year. 46% from the free throw line, and uh, 0% from, uh, no, sorry. Wait a second. Uh, yeah, TJ Moss. Ugh, these are so confusing. Uh, yeah, 29, 29, golly, okay. I was wrong. 27.1% from the field. I was looking at Wilton's of X line. I was like, that doesn't sound right, but I was like, maybe it's just because he shoots one per Yeah, I was wondering where you were looking because I'm looking at it too. I was like, that doesn't sound no, right. No, no, that's Levex line. That's right on top. I'm, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to leave this in or cut this out, but it uh, doesn't matter. 27.1% from the field. And again, he only shot once or twice a game, so that was a lot of 0 of 1 games. 29.4% from the free throw line and 23.8% from three. Yeah, you kind of said it all. Yeah. Any advanced um, metrics to get to? Like, what was his like defensive efficiency or offensive rating or anything like that? I mean, his. I'm looking at his defensive rating, 13th on the team behind um, Trey Anderson and Nathan Nelson. Um, his offensive rating was third worst on the team, or no, fourth worst on the team. McKay Henry, Nathan Nelson, and Trey Anderson were behind him. Um. Just not a very good season for TJ Moss, and I think he'll kind of tell you the same thing. He played well in stretches, but didn't play well in other stretches. So, yeah, I think he finished the season minus 58, which is not great. 
but um, there's room for improvement. I, I mean, if he sticks around and plays really well that or and develops, he's only played really a, a season. So mm-hmm. if he develops and there's a chance he could turn into a guy that can help this team off the bench. And Frank Martin does develop, and it seems like he has like the physical tools to be there, but I, I don't know. I, I just, frankly, don't like his game very much and that I mean it hasn't translated to any really real productivity on the floor so we will see I'm going to ask you about him again in just a minute as we talk about what the roster might look like exactly for next season but the last guy we need to talk about in terms of regular contributors for South Carolina he was actually under double digit minutes per game at just 9.8 but Wildensbeck played in 30 games scored two and a half points averaged two and a half rebounds two tenths of an assist three tenths of a steal he did get half a block per game half a turnover shot 61 percent from the floor uh 44 six percent from the free throw line and didn't take or make a three this season pretty solid freshman campaign for Wildens. it was a little bit interesting because if carolina needed another big sort of depending on matchups it was either going to be jalen or Wildens. so neither one of those guys really got an opportunity oh we haven't talked about jalen yet either have we uh neither one of those guys really got a a lot of like consistent run there were games when Wildens. i mean Wildens didn't play for what five straight games towards the end of conference play and then kind of got back in and played well against florida same thing kind of happened with Jalen. Overall, I think encouraging freshman season from Wildens, but maybe not as many answers going into a sophomore season as we would like to have. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to see him develop. I think you want to see him kind of get a little bit more comfortable. I think he struggled at times with the speed of the game. Um, getting stronger, getting a little bit more physical can certainly help him kind of getting maybe to bump up, you know, five or six pounds. Um really would help his case. Um, I really like his jump shot. I think there's a lot that you could do with it. So I, I like his game uh, a little up and down. needs to get stronger. needs to get a little bit, you know, quicker and, and just continue to develop and that'll happen. Um, so who knows? We'll see. I think I like his game a lot. Um, I think we'll know a lot more about him once the program rolls around and once things kind of start going um, in the end of the preseason. Other guy, I don't know why I, I skipped over him, but Jalen McCreary played in 27 games, averaged 11 and a half minutes a game, four points, 2.7 rebounds, three-tenths of an assist, three-tenths of a steal, four-tenths of a block, uh, almost a turnover a game, 57.3% from the floor, 37.8% from the free-throw line, geez, and uh, 0% from three, which is fine. Exciting, fun, bull in a china shop. You know, smaller, more athletic, not like a not a traditional five like Wildens is going to be, but that's kind of the future front court for South Carolina. I mean, obviously you got Manai coming back and you got Frank in there. It's going to be in the mix, but these two guys are the young, interesting future. And as much as the same kind of goes for Jalen as Wildens, where you know not enough consistent run to really know, and still plenty of questions. Frankly, more questions than answers. You see the potential in there for him to be one of those like freakish, versatile defenders, like a Michael Carrera, like a Chris Silva. Not saying he's going to be a defensive player of the year, or even maybe necessarily SEC All Defensive Team, but the tools seem like they're there. Yeah, no, I, I like he's got some bounce. He's athletic. Um, now he's just got to harness it, and that was what Michael Carrera and Chris Silva did really, really well. Is that they were able to kind of harness that for the most part. So um, we'll see. I think that he's got the talent to do it, and who knows what will happen after that. I like his game a lot. Like I said, I mean, it's, it's it has the chance to be a pretty good impact um, basketball player come you know next season and the next two or three years. 
Do you have anything to say, any stats to point out, or anything to wrap up the seasons of Mike Green, Trey Anderson, Nathan Nelson, or Micaiah Henry? Mike Green was like the highest rated efficiency player of all time. Like, I mean, if you just take like if you just ignore minutes and, and games, he like led the team in offensive rating, uh, led the team in defensive rating. Um per forty minutes, I think his per was like eons better than everybody else. I will say per forty, I mean that dude needs to be the that dude needs to be the starting point guard for Carolina next year. True shooting percentage one thousand. Um Points produced, he was fit, or he was last. He only produced five points, but um, led the team in win shares. Led the team in awe. He was near near the bottom, but win shares per forty um, mm. was up there. Uh, so I mean, Mike Green put some stats up there when he's out there. Now, granted, it was all in blowouts and whatnot, but you know what? Give him some credit. Unbelievable season. Pat yourself on the back, of Mike Green. Great year. Can't wait to see what you do next year. Um, in all seriousness, that uh, that kind of wraps it up for all the contributors for South Carolina. We've already gone long on this, which is great because, um, as anticipated, Colin and I have more to say about things than we think we do. So we're going to hold the bracket conversation until next week's episode of The Hard Foul. But before we get out of here today, I know we don't have an official update on A.J. Lawson, but please give us the official non-update on A.J. Lawson. Uh, still don't know. Still TBD. Uh, they're set to meet with the family this week um, just to kind of talk things out over the phone and Frank is that at least and um, they'll kind of talk things through and it's weird for him because you don't know if there's going to be a draft or there'll be a draft you don't know if there's going to be a combine you don't know if there's going to be private workouts with all this COVID-19 stuff going on and um, it kind of impacts how Lawson can be perceived if he can't get in front of these guys it's going to be hard to showcase his skills which might mean good news for South Carolina. Might mean he decides to come back. Um, so right now, I don't even think AJ Lawson knows what he wants to do, or AJ Lawson knows what you know what's next for him. What's the future for Mike Coatsar? He's a professional basketball player. Um, whether that's in Europe, whether that's in the NBA, in the G League, whatever it is, I think he's a professional basketball player. Um, had shoulder surgery a couple weeks ago, right after the SEC tournament season it did, and um, Will is rehabbing it now. Um, so should be kind of getting ready for that. And I think he's going to have plenty of opportunities to play professional basketball in some some capacity next season. Although I imagine a similar situation where not having private workouts, not having combine and things like that may kind of work against Mike at least in – I guess, anticipation of this coming professional basketball season. I, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to talk to him. Do you have a sense, or if you have talked to him, if, I mean, obviously if he could be in the NBA, I think he would like to be in the NBA. As great as the season was, I don't think he's an NBA player, but do you think that he would want to stick around and be in the G League? Would he be interested in going back to Europe and playing a little bit closer to home, or do you have any idea which way he's leaning in terms of a preference? Not right now. Uh, I still think a lot A lot of this is still kind of waiting to see how all this shakes out. Um I think that he would love to be in the G League just to get a shot at the NBA, but going over to Europe's not a bad situation with his family with his family in Estonia um, and able to kind of maybe see him play a little bit more than they were able to, I guess, since he came over to you know America as a high schooler. I'm going to introduce this last one with TJ Moss and say, will TJ Moss be on the South Carolina basketball team in 2020, 2021? And regardless of whether the answer is yes or no, do you think there's anyone else on the team right now that will be looking to transfer? 
right now still kind of TBD. They're going through um, end-of-the-year meetings right now with them um, throughout the week and in the next week. So you'll know more probably next week in the, the early part of two weeks from now, kind of how everything shakes out once they start talking. But it's college basketball. Attrition happens, good, bad, otherwise. I mean, every team has it. So we'll see kind of how things shake out. But would it shock me if one or two guys left? No. Uh, but I think it's going to be pretty minimal if there is any kind of transfer situation. There you have it. Colin Taylor will have all of the latest news on those transfers, transfers in, transfers out, AJ Lawson going pro. So follow him on Twitter at Colin Taylor with a Y and read him on GamecockCentral.com. Be on the lookout for that piece about Justin Manaya. It is Thursday morning while we're recording this, so Look for that Thursday afternoon and Friday and Monday. I don't know, Colin, if you know exactly when that's coming out. But sometime in the next couple days, you'll just stay glued to GamecockCentral.com. And as always, thanks for listening to this. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. As I mentioned, we went a little bit long today, so we're going to save the basketball portion of the greatest South Carolina athletes of all time bracket for next week's episode. Uh, Colin, any words of wisdom before we get out of here as uh, people try to make it through quarantine without sports? Stay strong. Stay strong. Stay. Play video games. Watch a lot of TV. Yeah. A lot of TV. Watch There's community. There's good stuff out there. There's good stuff out there. Trust us. Yeah. I uh, I like doing this in person with you, although this has gone pretty well. And uh, I feel like we're doing our part here, social distancing. Hopefully, Thank we'll be back to us. doing this podcast in person sooner rather than later. But uh, I appreciate you doing it on the phone. Thank you, as always. Great stuff. And again, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.